This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. You are listening to The Morning Run. It is Friday, the 27th of May, 6 in the morning. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio today with Kusu Chuang. Good morning, good morning. Now, I woke up to some sad news overnight. Uh, Chuang, I checked out my BBC app to see what the top headlines were, and two headlines struck out uh, for me in the sense that uh, we see that Goodfellas star Ray Liotta has suddenly passed away at age 67, and also the keyboardist for Depeche. mode, uh, Andy Fletcher has also passed away. Um, so two losses in the entertainment industry tonight. Yeah, Ray Liotta was the guy who was um, in uh, I think Goodfellas as well with uh, Martin Scorsese. That's a Martin Scorsese film. Then of course he also did um, what's the one, the gangsters one? Goodfe- was it Goodfellas? That's yeah. Goodfellas, yes. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Actually, uh, I actually remember him from um, the film Corina Corina, which he starred in with Whoopi Goldberg. So that's oh, a really? 90s film from that's way comedy, back when. Right? It's a comedy in Indeed. Uh, he was also seen recently in Marriage Story with uh, uh, Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. So maybe that's where some people may have seen him recently as well. He was actually filming um, in, in a country. He was, uh, he was overseas filming um, for a movie. Uh, in, I'm not sure where he was. The Dominican Republic? There we go. He was overseas <laughs> when he passed away. So, yeah, uh, so sad. Your heroes are not supposed to go, you know. He was only 67 years old. Only 67, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there we go. Um, him won Depeche Mode, also one of the giants in the British music scene. Um, I think they're frequently played here on BFM as well. So their keyboardist also uh, passed away unexpectedly. It seems that we've seen a lot of these uh, incidences throughout this year so far. And it's only been, it's only, it's not even June yet, really. He was even younger. He was 60 years old. Um, yeah. What's the average mortality rate nowadays? What's 85, 86 in Malaysia? No, is it 75 or 76? I still believe it's in our 70s. Yeah, so I, I would say mid-70s is, yeah. is kind of the, is the average. Mm. Um, but there we go. Uh, mortality comes for us all. Uh, a little bit of a morbid, morose uh, way to start the morning. But we do have a lot of interesting conversations lined up on the show this morning later. Beginning at 7.15, how are social media narratives on the war in Ukraine taking shape in Malaysia? So we're going to be exploring the prevalence of pro-Russian sentiment in the Malaysian social media space with Dr. Benjamin Lowe of Taylor's University. That's a twist, pro-Russian sentiment. Then 7.30, the question of how Turkey is seeking to influence the current geopolitical currents in its national favour. That's a Discussion with the Middle East expert Dr. James Dorsey. And this is, of course, coming on the back of Turkey's opposition to Finland and Sweden's membership of NATO, as well as the current escalation of tensions with uh, its NATO ally, Greece. So we'll find out the background to all that. Uh, and at 7.45, we'll discuss whether an overhaul of e-hailing platform regulation is needed in Malaysia. We're going to be speaking to transport analyst Chung Yifan for his thoughts. And this is, of course, um, against the backdrop of lots of gripes over high rates for grab um, rides that we're seeing and then just the sense of really why is there such bad traffic jams in this urban center at the moment. Uh, all this and more today on The Morning Run, so stay with us, BFM 89.9. That was The Stooges with No Fun. Before that, you heard The Who with Tommy. Can you hear me? Kuala Lumpur, can you hear us? We're The Morning <laughs> Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Ku Su Chuang in studio today, 6.09 in the morning on Friday, the 27th of May. So in the spirit of Weekend Vibes, Chuang, and piggybacking on a comment that you made yesterday about looking forward to seeing the Top Gun reboot, Top Gun Maverick. I think it's out in cinemas this week or even today. Um, I wanted to discuss movies 
And this was also sparked by a headline that I saw in the New York Times about a movie version of one of my current favorite cartoons, Bob's Burgers. Um, Are you serious? I love Bob's Burgers, (laughs) and I will defend it to the death. (laughs) But uh, I wanted to discuss today, uh, when do you get excited to see movie sequels or movie adaptations or movie reboots, you know? When when is it warranted to remake something that's already been done? You know, the, the saying goes, if it's broke, don't fix it. So why do new versions of old things keep coming up? Because it's like roti canai or nasi lemak or, or a well-fried plate of chakwe tao. You know what you're going to get, right, from your local mama or whatever. It's the same thing. Um, in, in recent pop culture folklore, Peaky Blinders, for example, uh, I can't wait for Stranger Things to come out. That's, I think, season six that comes out tomorrow. But that's just a continuation of Correct. You know, the series. Correct, but that's what franchises are. Top, Top Gun, right? Top Gun, the last one is in 1986. The, the latest one comes out, I think, tomorrow. It's or out. Is it tonight? Is it, it is tonight? out, yeah. yep. All those who and want to watch yeah, Tom yeah, Cruise. Yeah, exactly. So it's a formula, like, you know, you get this cool guy in aviator sunglasses, gets lots of girls and gets really tanned and bronzed into the sun and flies off, kills the bad guy. And that, that's what Tom Gunn is. So that also would explain the success of franchises like The Fast and the Furious, I yeah. suppose. I, I don't know. Are they at number 27 now? I'm not sure how <laughs> many, like of them, how many movies there are there. But what about movies like, for example, Ghostbusters? You know, the really huge 80s hit. It was remade recently with an all-female cast. What do you make of those kinds of reboots? Do you think that's necessary? Is it, um, are they trying to tap into the, I suppose, uh, iconic value, as you say, the nostalgia, the formula? Or is that really an artistic recipe for disaster? It's probably both, right? Um, it's the same tried and tested formula, but with a twist. And then that's how you get new markets, right? When you maybe you've lost, um, maybe you didn't have the girl market with, with the three guys back in the day. Now you do. Um, it's a bit like how this whole, this whole discussion about maybe we should have a, a black James Bond. So that's why Idris Elba isn't isn't afraid, right? In terms of um, getting new markets, now you've got these all Asian only casts, like crazy rich Asians. And then you get an entirely new market in, in China, for example, or, or Southeast Asia. Yeah, but Crazy Rich it's, it's Asians is a remake. It's commercial in nature, you know, well, Shaz. Although, although it, I guess you could say that... The co- cast is entirely crazy. Asian. Of course it's entirely Asian, but it's not like... It's, it is a new, it's, it's a new thing to the market. It's not based on an, old, on an old movie. It's not a remake of anything. It's new. So I, I feel that that's slightly different. Although I suppose you could argue that on the, on the terms of adaptation, where it's a book adaptation. Yeah. It came from a book, yeah. they turned it into a movie, and it became a very successful movie at that. Um, but at the same time, wouldn't it risk also getting backlash from very loyal audiences? The Ghostbusters uh, series, I mean, the movie did get that. There were a lot of, um, there was some dissatisfaction about that. I think we can also see that in terms of Disney's live action um, fair, for example. They're remaking all their cartoons into live action movies. Now, this is something that I personally don't get. I don't see why they need to remake uh, Aladdin, why they had to do that, or why they had to remake The Lion King. Um, but... Uh, Again, you know, I guess, does, is this a, a situation where money trumps uh, yeah, maybe I think the so. artistic uh, value from the beginning? Yeah, the commercial reasons, right? And that's, that's why um, when, when you have these, these franchises like the, the Avengers or Mission Impossible, they, 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 they cost a lot of money to make, but they, they, they make three or four or five times back. And this is hundreds of millions, right? Opening weekend, 300 million, 200 million. That's a lot of money. That's why these movie studios, they know that it's a template for success. The Kung Fu Panda series, you know, the James Bond series. We've had, what, 25, 35 James, 50 years, 60 years, right? The same tried and trusted formula. With different results, though. I mean, if you look at all the James Bond, not all of them have had equal success. I loved it. 
And will the next James Bond be able to top it? I mean, we don't know, right? Like, uh, I, I feel like these, it's a gamble that I suppose the movie industry and studios have to take. Um, but, uh, what, okay, off the top of your head, Chuang, name me a reboot, a movie reboot that you've particularly enjoyed. So you've seen an old version, you saw the new version, and you thought both were equally good. My mind has gone blank. <laughs> I've, I've seen tons of them, right? Um, I can't remember. I, I'm sure there are, but I can't remember. Okay, I will give my two, my two, uh, my two suggestions then. This would be, and the, I, be, I, don't, I don't think you've seen any of them, Chuang, so <laughs> they're probably not in your vein of explosions, but uh, number one would be Pride and Prejudice. So there are two versions, which oh, is yeah, the yeah, Kira Knightley right. version, and also the BBC version starts Colin Firth um, and Jennifer Ehli. Um, both of those are good in their own right. Um, they offer a different flavor. And another one would be uh, Little Women, actually. So you've got the um, Greta Austin, Gerwig. Right? Uh, Little is Women it? is not Jane Austen. It's Louisa M. Elcott. Oh, yeah. uh, but you've got, the, go. uh, you've got the Winona Ryder version and you've also got the Greta Gerwig version starring Shirsa Ronan. Um, two very different feels, but I felt that both were uh, well represented the book. So. Oh, I've got one. I've got one. Okay. Got All right. One. What do you have? Midway. That was initially the battle for Midway back in the what sixties or something, and then now you've got Midway on Netflix. I think that's a twenty nineteen version. The old one was better. And what is that movie about, Chuan? It's a war movie, lah. Lots, a of, war lots movie. of airplanes and shooting and <laughs> <laughs> people falling from the sky, that kind of stuff. All right. Aircraft carriers. And you say the Netflix version is as good as the old one because of CGI. You know, yeah, but but I think the old one is better. Oh, okay, so yeah, old yeah, one more has... realistic, lah. That right. one is real blurred. That one. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us what you think. You know, do you have a favorite reboot uh, or not? Dune, you know? Dune, Dune. The latest one is better. Oh, I okay. There you go. He comes in with that. Tell us what you think. Cabbage Patch Benedict. And you know, if <laughs> if you want to hear more discussions on movies and culture, you must tune in to Popcorn Culture every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That's when Lynn, Sharmila, and Arvin take you through all the latest news and also do a lot of throwbacks on movie favorites. Uh, Seven thirty p.m. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays. We're heading into some messages, and when we come back, we're going to discuss the right to repair and whether Apple really wants you to do that. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. That was Beck with Where It's At. It's here. At is here on the morning run with me, Shazana Mokdar and Kusu Chuang. 6.22 in the morning on the 27th of May. It's a Friday. Chuang, we are looking at this article about Apple's right to repair moves. They've uh, actually recently backtracked on this. They have been staunch, you know, we can repair our own things. We don't need people to repair their products. Uh, but recently they've they backtracked and actually given the opportunity to consumers to repair their own phones if they want to. I think a Verge, an article on The Verge covers this. What does it tell us? Yeah, this is something which has got many dimensions to it. And it really goes back to the days of Steve Jobs and his manic control of the ecosystem He's a control freak, was a control freak, and it really manifests itself in his products. And of course, back in the day, back in, I think, 2003, this YouTuber named Casey Neistat, he produced a video which went viral about how he, his iPod, um, the battery crashed, he couldn't charge it, he took it to the Apple store, wanted to repair it, right? He, because he's a DIY guy. Apple store back then in 2003 in New York City told him, just buy a new um, iPod. So basically, there's a lot of people who love Apple products, but a lot of naysayers, they, they want to repair their own stuff. And for a long, 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 long time, Apple refused to let that happen. So recently, and it was a big win for the DIY guys, uh, Apple reversed that, pro, that, that principle and allowed people to repair their own kits. So they, uh, they started this Apple self-service repair store, right? So a couple of people had tried it, and it was disastrous because what happened in the case of the Verge writer who tried it, um, he wanted to repair his iPhone mini. 
And so he wrote in and asked for a repair kit, expecting a small little toolbox. Star. Apple sent him two pel- huge Pelican roller cases, right? 79 pounds, like, like the, the weight pounds, which landed in front of his doorstep. He had industrial strength equipment to, to prise off the screen and to, to, to take off the stuff. It was incredibly hard. So um, this just goes to show two things. First of all, Apple doesn't really want you to repair their stuff. And secondly, do you even have the knowledge to repair what is essentially a supercomputer in front of you? So if you can, I really would recommend reading this article by Sean Hollister in The Verge because it's hilarious and <laughs> it it's, it's pretty, it, it's, it kind of beggars belief at the lengths that Apple will go to try and dissuade you from repairing your own phone. So all Sean wanted to do was replace the battery in his iPhone mini. And as Chuang said, he received two huge suitcases of tools that he had to rent from Apple in order to pry open his iPhone mini and, and replace that battery. And and it wasn't as straightforward as that. He had to call the service line to validate the battery replacement that he sent. Um, it it was it really it was difficult. It was definitely not <laughs> worth um, the time and effort uh, taken to do it. And the kicker here is that he actually had to put one thousand three hundred US dollars on credit in order to rent those um, to rent the tools for a week. Um, if he hadn't. If he didn't return those tools, he'd be $1,300 short in his account, which for a battery, you're replacing a $49 battery in your iPhone. It just feels like, wow. Yeah, Malaysia isn't a country of DIY people, right? Let's be honest, right? Because we've got you know people to do those things for us. In America, they are. In the UK, they are. You know, the West is generally a more DIY culture. Um, so Malaysians, I think, would generally just tend to send it back to the store and just let them do their magic. In fact, uh, some, some, something similar happened to me with my Samsung uh, phone recently, which is why I had to buy a new one, right? I, I take my phone cycling with me and many times it pops out of my holder. Ouch. It just crashes. So that was like a very nice Note 20, you know, cost me a bit of money, right? So, so eventually the screen crashed and it started doing the flickering thing. Tried to repair it, couldn't. Um, I think it's going to repair repair bill was about a thousand ringgit. Uh, sent it to the to the, app, to the Samsung store in Mid Valley. Um, huge waiting list. Cannot get it done in time. Had to leave it there for like seven working days. So of course you kind of not have your phone for seven working days. So in the end, had to buy a new phone. I mean that's so, what these so big, that's one that's one of the things that happens with smartphone ownership nowadays. That's what the big companies want you to do, though. They want you to um, spend more. They they have that planned obsolescence uh, yeah. strategy embaked in the, in their production, right? Um, but again, this. And another dimension of this is that it, all this also contributes to just the large amounts of e-waste that we are producing every year. Um, I take your point, Chuang, the fact that, you know, these smartphones are mini supercomputers. So they in are, a way, yeah. it does seem a bit ridiculous for consumers to think that they themselves can can. I guess, jig around with it. But I do think it brings to mind this broader question of what are we doing with all these items that we're producing on this mass scale every single year? Um, It just brings this larger question into view. Yeah, But uh, tell us what you think. Do you think that the right to repair should be properly respected by these big technology companies? Um, How should we handle the uh, issue of e-waste in the world? You can WhatsApp us 0187898899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We're heading into the 630 AM News Bulletin, and we'll come back after that with a look at global headlines. Here's Block Party with Banquet taking you to the Bulletin, BFM 89.9.
Stevie Nicks with Talk To Me. And if you want to talk to us, The Morning Run, you can always WhatsApp in with your comments, 018-789-8899, or tweet us at BFM Radio. I'm Shazana Mokhtar in studio with Kusu Chuang on Friday, the 27th of May, 6.40 in the morning. We're taking a look at global headlines now. Chuang, what's caught your eye today? My two items come from America, where the land of the free and the brave. Well, you know, we've been talking about gun reform laws and how there was... Actually, a couple of days ago, 19 kids and two adults were murdered in Uvalde, Texas. You know, basically the, the, an 18-year-old gunman. Um, look, I mean, in the wake of that shooting, the latest of a spate of many, 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 there's been ref- gun reform debates all over America. And um, just basically in, in terms of um, whether there's been any developments, no, because the Democrats want gun reform laws to be passed. The Republicans, they, they don't want it to be passed. And, and there's this impasse in, 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 in the government because I think there's a bit of a, a, bit of a split government in America. And um, there's an impasse, and, and at this point in time, there, there doesn't seem to be any kind of developments on those fronts. I mean, this debate crops up over and over again every time um, a mass shooting happens in the U.S., and it happens all too frequently. I think uh, in this year alone, there have been 27 mass shootings across the country. Um, this uh, school shooting in Uvalde, it's very reminiscent of the Parkland shooting a few years ago, very reminiscent of the shooting of uh, kindergarten elementary school kids in Sandy Hook about 10 years ago. And the fact that their uh, gun laws haven't actually been tightened. They've actually been loosened in some states. I think that's what's really shocking to the global audience that cannot understand why this is a very unique American problem. Well, the thing is, in Texas yesterday, right, um, Texas... Um, Democrats, gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke, he actually um, interrupted a press conference held by the Republicans in Texas. He wanted to criticize his, the, the state's inaction on guns. In Texas, actually, last year, they actually relaxed the law, which allows 18-year-olds to buy guns. And you know what, right? The gunmen um, in, in the Tuesday massacre actually turned 18 years old, and then two, year, two days later bought two platform rifles, like basically machine guns, right? which then he then used to shoot the kids in the school. So I'm so glad that Malaysia has got very, very strict laws on guns because it's crazy. And the Republicans, um, they, 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 they defend the right to own guns because they say it's not the guns themselves, it's the people themselves. But look... It's, it's a mad world, right? I mean, you can look at it, if you look at the polarization of it, it's easy to see it as black and white. But I think the f- truth is a lot of gun owners in America would not be adverse to uh, things like gun like checks, for example. The fact that uh, Texas allows open carry without tra- and you can buy guns without training, I feel like that just seems... It doesn't make sense to me in that in that way, the fact that they would allow that. Um, Shaz, you're partly American, right? What, what do you think? Very funny, so? Chuang, not American you, at all. You used to spend a lot of time there. In fact, you even worked in America, right? I um, did work in America. I did not see guns very often in my time there. New um, York City, right? New York City. Uh, I was, yeah. But, so that's um, more of a democratic... It's very metropolitan, very, yeah, it's a different world from, say, Texas, for example. But yes, uh, different states have different gun laws. It's going to be interesting to see whether this will actually push uh, President Joe Biden to take action on it. Uh, Something that the rest of the world watches in um, in shock and horror, really. Uh, I'm going to turn our attention to another interesting interesting, uh, headline that I saw off the Financial Times. And this is that um, EY, that giant audit big four firm, uh, it's actually planning a spinoff of its global audit audit arm. And this would be pretty revolutionary for the industry. We know that the big four like uh, EY, Deloitte, KPMG and PwC, they've long handled these 
allegations of conflict of interest in their work because they do audit work as well as consultancy and tax uh, tax work as well for uh, companies. So there's always been that, you know, can you uh, do audit on one hand, but also help your clients on the other. Uh, and now sources say that EY is actually planning to split those two um, divisions up, which would be a really interesting thing, I think. Yeah, um, big corporations struggle with that conflict of that blame of conflict all the time. Stock uh, investment investment banks um, get that con- that blame all the time. Advertising agencies get that blame all the time, and uh, this is something that um, that's why corporation law exists, and that's why there's this web of interconnected parties that ultimately no one really understands. So I'm not surprised that EY would want to do it to, to, to defend their client's role and to continue making big money. They would be the first one to do it. And nobody really knows how this will take shape. Uh, it's just really complicated how EY is set up across the world. Don't forget, they have a global presence in so many countries. And I am really curious to see whether this actually takes shape and whether this kind of move will spur other big four firms to also do the same thing. Don't forget that the big four used to be the big five until 2001 and the Enron scandal put an end to Anders Anderson. Um, Arthur Anderson. Arthur Anderson, Anders Anderson, Anthony Anderson. (laughs) The two A's essentially. So that's when they became the big four. Will this be another move that could reshape the consulting and tax audit industry? We'll have to wait and see. Heading into 640, in the morning, uh, we have some messages, and then after that, we'll come back with a look at the local newspapers and portals. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. That was Gorillas with Feel Good Inc. I do wonder who got the job of laughing hysterically in the background of that track. <laughs> Probably a computer. Probably a computer. Oh man, that's, that's no fun. Uh, 6.50 in the morning, you're listening to The Morning Run. It's Friday the 27th of May. We're taking a look at what's making headlines in our local newspapers and portals. And uh, what's caught your eye this morning, Chuang? Durians, actually. Durians on page, uh, let me just pull it up. When page you, 6. When you said durians, I could imagine Philip C. just shuddering oh, wherever I, I he I is. I love durians. I will travel far and wide for durians. I'm not kidding you, right? Um, so anyway, because of the monsoon, because of the erratic weather patterns, um, durian season will now peak in October, not June and July as traditionally, right? So um, apparently, um, according to the Malaysian Durian Exporters Association president, Sam Tan, he said that Musang King will be sold for between 60 to 70 ringgit per kg. Um, but then from October onwards, it's going to drop to about 30 bucks per kg. So, okay. so it's, it's basically going to be later, but cheaper ultimately okay. by the end of the year. So if you can wait till October, then hopefully you'll be able to get your Musang King fix then. Yeah. Oh, God, Musang King. I love Musang King. <laughs> what do you like, Duran Shaz? I, I do like it. I'm not, I can't say I'm a huge fan. I wouldn't cross rivers to eat it, but oh, uh, I do enjoy my durian when I get it, uh, if it's in front of me. Indeed. I think my, my record is 45 seeds. Wow. All right. Let's see if you can top that in October when when durian is plentiful. Uh, But in any case, other headlines that uh, I think is making news is really on the political front. So remember yesterday, uh, Chuang, you mentioned about uh, the membership of Tunku Datuk Sri Zafrul Aziz to Omno that has come to light. Um, Another uh, party leader or party member, uh, Datuk Sri Zuraida Kamarudin, she has also announced that she's exiting Bersatu to join Parti Bangsa Malaysia. Now, that's the uh, new party that was formed recently. They've got two MPs at the moment, Larry Sung of Julau and Stephen Chung of Tebrau. And now they have Zureda Kamarudin of Ampang joining their ranks. 
Oh, oh my gosh. (laughs) So does she remain as minister? She's going to resign? She said that she will be resigning. She's going to meet the prime minister uh, in order to formalize this uh, exit from um, Bersatu. But don't forget, Parti Bangsa Malaysia is still aligned with the ruling government. Um, Bersatu has quickly come in to say that, okay, that cabinet position is ours to decide. So we will determine, or Tan Sri Muhyiddin Yassin will determine who replaces her. But uh, I do think that uh, it uh, points to a a lack of policy stability. The fact that she was in charge of the Plantations and Commodities Ministry, a very important... Why can't they just do their work? Why must they do this, right? I, I can't figure out politicians. Honestly, I can't, right? It's like, um, I don't know, I just, I just don't know. The country's in such a mess, right? And our, our ministers, our policymakers... They, I don't know. Is this for, it must be for selfish reasons, right? Why, why would you leave one job for another job in the middle of a recession? It's I, crazy. I think that you express the frustrations of many Malaysians out there. Don't forget that uh, this is a form of party hopping uh, if she's jumping from Bersatu to Parti Bangsa Malaysia. Don't forget that she was also previously with uh, PKR before. So she's gone from PKR to Bersatu. Now she's going to join PBM. Parti Bangsa Malaysia, exactly. If you want a sort of preview of what PBM stands for, we did speak to Haniza Mohamad Talha. She's the deputy president of PBM just ahead of the Johor elections back in March. So take a listen to that podcast to, I suppose, get a a sense of what it is PBM stands for. Um, But yes, interesting to see how this is going to play out. Don't forget, we don't have an anti-party hopping law yet. We must. That's still in the works. And in the uh, New Straits Times, we have uh, an article stating that the uh, de facto Law Minister Datuk Sri Wan Junaidi has said that July will probably be when this uh, bill is tabled, um, although it will likely only be enforced sometime in January. And I wonder what that means about GE15 then, because I think the public perception or popular perception is that uh, this bill must be enacted before GE15 takes place if we want the public to have trust in the electoral system. It's also a good test for the lawmakers to see whether they really are serious about this anti-hopping law, because ultimately, I, I guess, people leave their parties for greener pastures in other parties for obvious reasons which is why people don't well including me don't like politicians in this country ongoing discussion. If you want to hear more analysis on um, Datuk Sri Zureda Kamarudian or even Tengku Datuk Sri Zafrol, do check out the Evening Edition's podcast of Inside Story. They covered the tale of two Zs yesterday. Um, a lot of interesting details there. Alright, l we have time for maybe another quick headline. Uh, anything that's caught your eye, Chuang? Yeah, this item that came in from one of our listeners, Robert Saw. So he always sends in these news headlines. So anyway, um, according to the Channel News Asia, Japan is going to open its borders to tourists from 36 countries starting June the 10th, and that includes Malaysia. That that ends a two-year closure. So interesting for Japan, interesting for Malaysians, because we love going to Japan. uh, And uh, the the food there is amazing, uh, personally. So for those of you looking to travel, maybe you can put Japan on your list after June the 10th. We're coming up to 6.56 in the morning. We're heading into the 7 a.m. news bulletin. And after that, we'll come back with a look at how global markets closed overnight, taking you to the news. is Steve Millerband with Take the Money and Run, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.